Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. The All Blacks kick off their international season this weekend when they play the first of three tests against France at Eden Park. It's nine years since France last beat the All Blacks. Joining us now to discuss the match and the side All Blacks coach Steve Hansen is picked. We're joined by our rugby reporter Joe Porter. Joe, besides the obvious ones that we're always going to miss these matches, it's a pretty good side. Yeah, absolutely. Probably the strongest side he could have picked, like you say, minus the injured absentees, Kieran Reid, Dane Coles and Brodie Vitalik. So, uh, incredibly strong team. Just the one debutante on the bench, Carl, uh, sorry, Carl Te Unukuafe, who is the Chiefs prop and has uh, made a remarkable rise into the national side, having only played a handful of Super Rugby games and being unwanted at Super Rugby level at the start of this year. So caught up as an injury replacement to the Chiefs. He's obviously an incredibly good scrummager. And he's a real fairy tale story, having quit rugby four years ago after a broken leg and ballooning and weight and getting told to get back onto the field to address his health issues, and now he's in the All Blacks. So fantastic for him, and, and he's a great scrummager, so we're looking forward to seeing him in the black jersey. And, and, and of course, the three Barrett brothers starting for the first time. Three brothers will start for the All Blacks in a test match. The three Barrett brothers making history on Saturday night at Eden Park. Geordie Barrett sneaking in at fullback there to start ahead of Ben Smith, pushing Ben Smith to the wing which means with Rico Yuani on the other wing, there's no room for Waisaki Naholo, which is a little bit of a blow for Waisaki. He's been in fairly good form. Traditionally, the All Blacks start a bit slow. Steve yeah. Hansen has said that um, they were keeping things simple in the week leading up to the first test. So what sort of game do you expect? Do you, you know, will it, will it be sort of tight to start with because of this wintry weather we've had as well? Yes, conditions will play a role. If it's wet and horrible and miserable miserable at Eden Park, you'd imagine that would be a fairly good leveller and what the French are probably hoping for. Defensively, the French are pretty good, so in a wet, tight game, that might suit them. Uh, They are missing a bunch of their own stars through injury, and of course, their top two teams are involved in the French top 14 final, so they're missing the first test. Like you say, the All Blacks always start slowly, so often the first test of this June series is the best chance for the opposition to get one over the All Blacks. However, with the French missing some of their players and not having the best six nations, a whole lot of young, untested, but exciting players in their team, I still think the All Blacks should be too good this weekend. Yeah, the French are difficult to sort of really know what they'll turn up with. But are there spotlights, do you think, on certain All Blacks players or in this series you would like to see players to, um, you know, come to the fore perhaps or to take a more dominant role? You know, have you highlighted a few All Blacks you'll be particularly watching? Well, yes, Bowden Barrett's probably one at the forefront of my mind. I mean, he's World Rugby Player of the Year. He's got a lot of skill, obviously. He's an incredible player. But he doesn't quite seem to dominate test matches in a directorial sort of role that a guy like Dan Carter did with his sort of playmaking and general generalmanship from the, from the first five positions. So I'm looking for Bowden to really stamp his mark on this series, prove that he is the best first five in the world and, and dominate it not only from a running and, and passing position but also being able to create plays with his passing ability and use tactical to kicking to his advantage. So I'd really like Bowden Barrett to step up and stamp his mark. We know he's the best first five we've got but I'd like to see him be a little bit more of a genuine 
consistent test player. Um, Liam Squire at number six, taking over from veteran Jerome Kynell. He's obviously now our number one. Again, it'd be good to see him produce some of the physical feats that he's capable of and, and move this team forward. And uh, in the backs, obviously, a chance for Geordie Barrett hasn't been cited in the All Blacks jersey since the British and Irish Lions jersey, so a chance for the young Barrett to prove his wares. And the, the All Blacks obviously feel like he's got some if they're picking him ahead of Ben Smith at fullback. And it's likely that Damien McKenzie will come on at some mm. stage where, you know, he could well be at, at, at fullback. But, mm. I mean, he's been playing a lot at first five this yeah. year. You know, he's, he's coming on. He, he's sort of the obvious uh, you know, back replacement there, is he? Yeah, it would seem that he's won the, the race to be the backup for Bowden Barrett at first five ahead of Richie Moanga. It probably helps that he has all that experience at fullback and in the outside backs and the speed so he can cover both those positions from the bench because the only other backs on there are TJ Pedernato, halfback and... Nani Laumape, who's more of midfield cover, though I'm assuming he could play on the wing if he had to. So yeah, Damien McKenzie, he'll get some game time at first five. It'd be interesting to, interesting to see how he goes. He's, he's great with the ball in hand. I believe he's made the most line breaks in Super Rugby. He, he uh, takes the ball to the line. He's incredibly difficult to stop. He creates plays off the cuff, but yeah, can he play that playmaker director's sort of role at first five and control a match uh, like the other top first fives can? Not sure yet, so we'll wait and see, but he's a project there as well. So it's certainly um, something to look forward to, a really strong all-black side, and you expect a pretty, pretty fired-up team on Saturday night. Uh, and there has been this talk about a new pl- a plan, a new attacking mm. style, or, you know, really going to see anything, yeah. do you think? Well, I mean, uh, the All Blacks are the team, if any, that moved the game forward, so to speak. So you would think that they're trying to stay one step ahead of their opposition. Last year we saw how effective the British and Irish Lions' rush defence was against the All Blacks. They really struggled to break that down and get around it at times, so... After that, we saw a lot of other teams trying to emulate the Lions' rush defence when they were playing the All Blacks, seeing it as as a, as a way of potentially frustrating them and, and, and beating them. So they've obviously come up with a few ideas to get around what they see will be rush defences from a lot of other teams more and more coming their way and, and a little bit of adaptation there that they perhaps didn't quite execute last year. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see. No doubt they will try and... Uh, they've got a few tactics to try and break down those sorts of defences and it will be, yeah, interesting to see how they try and do that. Many thanks to rugby reporter... Joe Porter. And this is Extra Time. New Zealand cricket has a significant gap to fill after the Black Caps coach Mike Hesson suddenly resigned this week. After six years in what he describes as an all-consuming role, Hesson says he wants to spend more time with his wife and two daughters. He says he can no longer give the job the 100% commitment it requires, especially with just a year until the next World Cup. Some of the highlights of Hesson's tenure were a place in the 2015 World Cup final and the strengthening of the Black Caps test match record. The team ascended to number one in the world in 2020, second in one-day internationals and third in tests during his time in charge. Sports reporter Clay Wilson caught up with Hesson after his announcement and started by asking if it had been a tough and emotional decision. Oh, look, it is. I mean, it's because it means a lot. Um, you know, it's six years of my life that... Um, I've loved every minute of it, but I've, you know, I've committed 100% to the role for six years. So to just one day decide that you know, you're not going to do that again is off next year is, um, yeah, is takes a lot of thought, um, and it does. Yeah, I guess I'm emotional because it means a lot. You spoke a little bit about it up there about not wanting to split up the roles and potentially step down from say a 2020 tour or a tour or two. Was that that was quite a strong thing in your mind? Not to you wanted to commit 100% to it. Look, I've missed two days of cricket in six years, um, and I've found those hard. Um, and I think it's it's not one of those jobs you can go on holiday. You know, you just while well, the team's playing, you know, you're you're fully immersed in the job. Um, and I think that's what the job requires. 
um, you know, whether other people that come in have different views to that, then that's entirely up to them. But that's the way I've sort of lived the role. Um, I've given it everything. And um, if you can't give it 100%, then I think it's... Well, you don't have the capacity to do it, then you just give someone else a crack. Obviously the relationships and that are a big part of it and a big highlight, but in terms of the cricket itself, do you have any personal highlights that come to mind over your, your time? Look, I think Test Series wins away from home and Test wins away uh, are real fond memories. And Obviously winning first Test Series ever in the West Indies was big. Um, you know, winning Tests in England um, were, were big, you know, one at Leeds. Um, and also... Uh, you know, the test match in Sharjah for a different thing, but you know, winning a test match over there um, with what the group was going through at the time was was a very special time. Um, and obviously, the one day memories, World Cup, and, and holding a series and bits and pieces there, all the um, yeah, memories that I'll certainly reflect on fondly in time. Because looking forward now, you're going to have some time. What's going to be you know day to day for you for the next little while? I've got school swimming tomorrow, so um, I'll obviously play a role there, but. Look, I think it's just um, sharing the load a little bit with with Kate, and um, and it'll, you know, that integration will take a little bit of time. Having you know, spend nine to ten months a year away, um, you know, spending some time uh, at home being a dad, and also you know, just taking stock of where we are and, and where we want to go. Just finally, I know you've got to have some downtime, but I mean, is it something that you would like to come back to? I guess when you decide you want to get back and do it. Is, oh, look, is... I'm only 43, and I'm a cricket coach, and. Um, you know, I think that if I'm a better coach now than I was six years ago, I'd like to think I'll be a better coach again in time. So I guess when you leave at 43, you, um, you never shut the door on anything. And I certainly love my time at New Zealand Cricket. Redcaps coach Mike Hesson speaking to Clay Wilson after his resignation. Hesson officially steps down on July 31st with New Zealand Cricket Chief Executive David White saying the planning for who might replace him is already well advanced. This is extra time. The FIFA World Cup kicks off in Russia next week with Germany defending the title they won in Brazil four years ago. Germany, the current world number one ranked side. Joining us is RNZ's football expert Max Toll. Max, there have been some discussions about concerns with security and fan racism in Russia. Do you expect any problems or will uh, football be grabbing all the headlines? I think it's inevitable that there'll be some, uh, I guess, what you would call political unrest. Uh, um, I think it's also inevitable that you're going to get some hooligans causing trouble. Um, I, I, I can't remember the last time Russia held a high-profile match and there wasn't uh, some degree of trouble. Uh, but look, it, it is all about the football, and um, I think what's particularly interesting about this World Cup as opposed to others is there doesn't really seem to be any clear favourites. Uh, I think you've probably got about six teams who are capable of winning it. Let's say Spain, Argentina, Belgium, Brazil, Germany... And France, uh, with perhaps Brazil and France getting uh, a lot of the talk. Uh, Germany or Germany, it'd be very depressing if they won, but they're always going to be counted as favourites. So yeah, that's that's I suppose what I'm most looking forward to is seeing uh, one good team rise above rise above the crop. So yeah, Germany, they're a good tournament team. Does a tournament like this take a bit of away from the what we'd hope to see from a football side because it's win at all cost? Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to uh, analyse a side on paper. Um, and while Germany certainly has a very strong side on paper, I wouldn't say they were the strongest. It is mostly about that sort of uh, that pedigree and that uh, ability to perform under pressure. They've got a coach, uh, Jurgi Love, who's been there uh, several times before and who knows what it takes to win a World Cup. 
and they're actually they've actually got a relatively experienced side with some World Cup players, uh, World Cup winning players still in it. Um, that experience is going to prove key. As opposed to Brazil, uh, another of the sort of uh, you know much vaunted uh, juggernauts, Brazil might very well be the best team on paper, and they've certainly got incredible talents like Neymar and uh, Coutinho. But it's whether or not they can, or, you know, whether, it's whether or not they can pull it together for for seven games uh, in the tournament, and whether or not uh, they you know they will be lacking that experience. Quick word on England. Oh, please, no. <laughs> Can we not? <laughs> I can't see England getting past the quarterfinals. I, I can't even see them really uh, getting out, uh, getting past the round of 16. England, look, there's a lot to admire about England and, and the team that Gareth Southgate, the manager, has picked. There's a lot of young talent in there. Um, but this is a group of unproven players, uh, guys who haven't really delivered in an international tournament before. Not that there have been many England teams that have delivered at international tournaments before. But this is, uh, I suppose you could look at the England side and say they're still in a rebuilding phase. And there's always, there are always going to be things like the pressure that uh, you know, previous teams have suffered from. But the nightmare draw is probably the worst aspect of England's World Cup chances. Once they get out of the group stages, they're probably looking at a tie against Colombia. I don't think there would be favourites for that. And then if they manage to squeak past uh, Colombia, they're looking at Brazil or Germany in the quarterfinals. And really, I'd say they'd have zero hope uh, in, against either of those teams. But it, it, the, the interesting thing about England is, is uh, they, they've sort of got this new tactical setup that they haven't had in the past. They're playing a 3-3-2-2 formation. Three centre-backs, uh, a couple of wing-backs, and a holding player, likely to be Tottenham's Eric Dyer. Two attacking midfielders, likely to be Deli Alley and uh, Jesse Lingard. And then two strikers in... Uh, Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling's likely to, likely to play up top. I think it's going to be incredibly interesting to see how that formation works. Kind of a uh, a new fancy uh, lineup that hasn't really worked in the past. Great, thanks, Max. That's Max Toll, our football expert. Two weeks after crashing out in Rally of Portugal, the Geraldine driver Hayden Patton takes on WRC Sardinia this weekend, hoping for some redemption. It'll be the fifth time he's contested the Island Rally. In three years since he grabbed his first World Rally Championship podium finished there. Padden is on a limited schedule with Hyundai this year and is fighting to keep his drive. Padden has spent the last two weeks strengthening his back following that crash and he told Cathy Walsh that lessons learned from that incident will play an important role in Sardinia. Uh, yeah, well, this is a rally that's always had quite a high attrition rate in the past. Um, it's probably the roughest event that we have in Europe, so... It, it does mean just allowing a little, a little bit of margin um, to look after the car and, and to allow for those um, unexpected obstacles that we might get on the road, if you like. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's important for us to have a clean rally this weekend, um, not necessarily just chasing pure speed, just trying to stay out of trouble and have a clean rally. And if we can do that, then a good result is still quite possible. Is, is it like a need to tone things down a bit? Is, is that difficult to do? Uh, yes and no. Um, again, at this level, uh, as soon as you turn things down, you're outside the top ten, um, and, and that's that's not doing you any good either. So there's a balancing act between you obviously have to go on a, at a good speed, um, but also try and get to the finish with uh, always to say to finish first, first you must finish. So yeah, it is a real balancing act between the two. What makes it such a demanding rally? Uh, as I say, it's, it's probably the roughest event we do in Europe, but also it's very technical stages. Um, it, Generally, it's quite hot here as well, so uh, you get a lot of tyre wear. It's very hard on the car, and it's very hot inside the car mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, 
um, yeah, there's a physically demanding rally. Um, and, you know, you, you need to be smart, you need to be clever here. And, um, yeah, I think um, if you can drive this rally at 95% and, and have no punches and have no mistakes, then, you know, you're likely to be on the podium at the end. There's some new sections that are probably even more technical this year that makes um, some of the stages a bit more challenging, but in general, the character of the, of the stages here throughout are, are very similar. Okay, and, and it's, um, I'm just trying to think back, it's three years since you got that podium finish in Sardinia, is it? Yep, seems yeah. like a long time ago. <laughs> It'd be nice to repeat that. Yeah, yeah. Um, does, is that something that you think about, or is that just sort of a, a, an extra confidence boost in the background? Uh, no, well, it gives you a bit of confidence to know that you can achieve good results here. Um, but, it, you know, you're only as good as your last result, so it's certainly not something you can rely on. But, um, you know, it's an event that you're comfortable with, and, you know, I spend a lot of time in Sydney nowadays um, between events as well, so it's almost like a second home rally, if you like. So, yeah, it's, it's a place I'm, I'm comfortable in. A couple of last questions about your future with Hyundai. That's, I guess, just up in the air and... and I mean, do you look at it as a straight race between you and Danny Sordo, or, or is it something that you just sort of put right to the back of your mind? Oh, it's, it's much too early at the moment yeah. to be thinking about anything like that. Like, we've only done two rallies of our seven of our program this year, so um, we have to sort of just focus on the next two or three events before we can even start even talking to the team about those sort of things. And uh, it's not just Danny, there's all sorts of things that could happen, other drivers could move. Um, you know, it's, um, you know the silly, the silly season, if you like, probably kicks off in the next two or three months. So, mm. um, you know, it's important we try and get some good results under our belt um, over the next two months, and then now uh, we can start those discussions. Hayden Pannon talking to Kathy Walsh. The New Zealand equestrian Andrew Nicholson says doing a job that he is passionate about means being honoured by the country makes him very proud. Nicholson was acknowledged in the Queen's Birthday Honours List for services to equestrian sport. Blackfin's captain of the O'Farmasili, Nepal Tracy Fair, athletics coach Kirsten Hallier, and Paralympics chief executive Fiona Allen are among the other sports people to be honoured. 56-year-old Nicholson, who has lived in the UK for 35 years, first competed at the Olympics in 1984. He told Clay Wilson he's been very fortunate. I felt very honoured and very privileged to be honoured in such a way. You know, all I'm doing is a, a sport which I'm passionate about and I love doing, and I'm very lucky to have a, a job which you know, I'm passionate about and love doing. And, yeah, so it's a, been a great honour. What does it mean? Where does it fit amongst all the achievements you've had over the years? Yeah, it's, uh, it's up there. It's not quite up with the winning badminton or winning Burley three times in a row, but it's, it's up there very much. And, you know, to be recognised... Like I said, for the the sport I do is makes me feel very very proud. You just mentioned some of them there. You've had a lot of highlights, but I guess reflecting on your career to date, what has been the most satisfying part of everything that you've been able to achieve? Well, winning badminton um, last year. Badminton for me is the pinnacle in the uh, eventing. Well, you know, I've been there a lot of times and not been able to win it, then finally winning it felt like I'd sort of made all those hard years and disappointment worth it. So do you get much time to reflect on, on all your achievements? I guess you're still competing, so 
there's that element to it. Oh, I was, I was, yeah, I'm still competing, but you know, your memory is an unbelievable thing, isn't it? I can remember the first international event I won, and you know, to hear the, the New Zealand national anthem played as an island at the time, and you know, makes the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, and it and it still does now. It's when winning is one thing at an international event, but when you you hear the national anthem play, it's, it sort of sinks in and makes you feel very proud to represent New Zealand and what I, what I can do for the sport for New Zealand. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that because you've obviously lived offshore now for a number of years, but you're clearly still very proud to be a Kiwi and perhaps even more so the fact that you're living overseas and competing overseas a lot. Yeah, I've you know, I've lived in, in the UK for 35 years or plus now and yeah, like I say, it's it's possibly, yeah, you could be right, that makes me feel even more more proud to be a, a Kiwi when you win something in a foreign country and yeah, you know, you hear their national anthem played, and you know, I sort of know I don't get back to New Zealand that much, but I am a New Zealander, and I'm very proud of being a New Zealander. That's Andrew Nicholson, and that's Extra Time for this week. Follow us on Twitter, at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.